the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. A single mom said she couldn't attend the dance. In Los Angeles, Will Carr, Fox News. A fiery train derailment in rural Iowa has at least one group suggesting the industry move forward and upgrading against uh, aging rail tankers. The derailment sent 27 tanker cars filled with ethanol off the tracks. One national park named the deadliest in the country. Lake Mead is America's deadliest park, according to a top ranking by Outside Magazine. The park had 254 casualties over a span of 10 years, from 2006 to 2016. A majority of these deaths were due to natural causes and suicides, but drownings in the lake were also to blame. Park spokesperson Christy Vanover doesn't think the ranking will deter tourists from visiting. I don't feel that people are going to find that negatively affects their choice to visit here. We've actually talked to visitors here about the article, and they're shocked to hear that we're one of the deadliest parks because they see that if you enjoy the park safely, you can, you can have a really great time out here. Coming in at number two deadliest is Yosemite National Park with 150 deaths. In Las Vegas, Andrew Kraft, Fox News. AT&T saying service is back to normal after a hardware issue prevented some customers' phone calls from connecting earlier today. In a statement, they apologized for the inconvenience and did not provide any other details. Lisa Lacera, Fox News Radio. Thinking about life insurance? What if you could make one free phone call and learn your best price from nearly a dozen highly rated price competitive companies? Well, that's exactly what happens when you call SelectQuote Life. For example, George is 40. He was getting sky-high quotes from other companies because he takes meds to control his blood pressure. But when I shopped around, I found him a 10-year, $500,000 policy for under $28 a month. I'm SelectQuote agent Dan Savino. And believe me, if SelectQuote isn't shopping for your life insurance you're probably paying too much. For your free quote, call 1-800-494-2323. That's 1-800-494-2323. 1-800-494-2323. Or go to selectquote.com. Since 1985, we shop, you save. Get full details on the example policy at selectquote.com slash commercials. Your price can vary depending on your health, issuing company, and other factors. Not available in all states. AM 570, The Mission. I'm Liz Black with Ask the Lawyer, sponsored by Connors and Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or estate law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He's been recognized as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. Call him now at 866-970-9622. That's 866-970-9622. And Ask the Lawyer. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Thanks to David Kincaid for bringing us in. And we have a double thanks to David Kincaid because on March 8th, he pinch hit for Ralph Peters 
at the Civil War Roundtable. Ralph Peters' father-in-law had an open-heart surgery, couldn't attend the event. And David Kincaid pinch hit for Ralph and did a great job doing his Irish music, Songs of the Civil War, on March 8th. And if listen, if look into David's stuff, because it really is very interesting in hauntingfields.com. David Kincaid is a... And mostly he's a rock singer, but he does do traditional Irish music of the Civil War. And, of course, we use his song on Hollowed Ground as our back in each week. And, Beth, uh, I know a lot of people from our office attended the uh, Civil War Roundtable. I think had a great time. Um, <laughs> I know I did. And I saw people there that were tapping their foot. One of the things that he was saying, which today I was going over, we have some of his CDs. The the words it is it's verse after verse after verse after verse, and you can actually learn a lot of history in just the song itself. Um, the you can learn all about the generals, the um, places that they were fighting. It's very interesting, and he is a fantastic musician. All right, now up later tonight on the show we've got. Uh, Sheriff Clark, and then we've got a director, a movie director, George Mendeluk, and and he's been in Hollywood forever, and he's done a hundred things, but he's doing a a very close-to-home, passionate film that's released right now, Bitter Harvest, which is about the starvation of the Ukraine in the 1930s, and that's a very personal film for him because his parents lived through that. Now, as most of you know... Do you remember how many... Ukrainians died or no? Well, the, the numbers are unclear because, one, it was starvation. Good statistics weren't kept. The communists didn't want to keep good statistics. And uh, some people were shot. Some people were starved. Some people just died. Right. You know, if an older person didn't get enough nutrition, they just died. But as those of you know, the, show's, the first part of the show is about estate planning and elder law. And the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, that's avoiding probate, and as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. And we have we have one phone call on right now. Seely from Brooklyn. Yes, Seely, what's your question? Hi. If my mother puts her house in an irrevocable trust, will that affect how she files her taxes? Ordinarily not. Most of the time when we put a house into an irrevocable trust, We have it so that the parent, the owner of the house before the transfer, has the authority to collect the rents. Let's say if it's a two-family house, they have a right to collect the rents. Of course, if it's not a two-family house and their house is not being rented out, there's no rents anyway. But no, a trust can be arranged in such a way that that nothing changes as far as the taxes, which also means if somebody has a real estate exemption, senior citizens, veterans, star program exemption, you still keep it with the trust. And that's when sometimes when some people realize that's one of the reasons you don't just transfer the house to your kids because sometimes you lose those exemptions. Uh, Beth, I think you have a, a question on the email about that, right? I have a very similar one. This one is from Maurice. Um, we just moved my mother into a nursing home. Several years ago, we placed her house in a trust. The social worker at the nursing home said we should have just transferred ownership by deed and not make a trust. Did we do the right thing? Well, yes, because here's the problem. You know, a lot of times bad things happen when you just transfer the house, let's say from deed, from 
let's say, parent to child. One, you could lose the veterans exemption, senior citizen exemption, star program exemption, if you're assuming the child's not a senior citizen or veteran and so forth. That's one. But two, there are a lot more negative tax consequences. And one of the worst things that could happen is, let's say you deed the house to your son. Your son's married. He dies before you. You got a mess. You know, you're in partnership with your daughter-in-law. And your son could get sued. He could have a judgment against him. And we're not even talking about the, the extreme cases, which we do talk about at our seminars, where somebody deeded the house over to her daughter, her daughter died, and then the grandson tries to evict the grandmother. Uh, you know, bad things can happen. And tax-wise, one of the biggest things, even if no bad things happen, let's say you paid $50,000 for your house years ago, you deed the house to your son and daughter, no trust, no strings attached, and parent dies, house is paid $50,000 for it 30 years ago. It's worth $800,000 on date of death. We got a $750,000 capital gain. That transfer has cost you $250,000 in capital gains taxes. That is not petty cash, and that would hurt me because if you come into Connors and Sullivan, the one thing I want to do is keep your money away from the government. You worked very hard to pay the mortgage off on your house. We want to leave that house to your children. We don't want to leave it to the government. And if you want to accomplish that, give us a call at Connors and Sullivan. Okay, we have another call now from Anna in Brooklyn. Yes, Anna, what's your question? Hi, yes. Um, so my parents have never had any documents prepared before. They're interested in having a will done, but they're worried about um, whether they need to list all of their all of their assets in the document because they, they have a lot, several accounts. So they're just not sure how if, if all those accounts need to be put in the will. Okay, well, they, a will can be as simple as I leave everything to my spouse. If something happens to my spouse, I leave everything to my chil- two children. I appoint my spouse to be the executor of the will, and if something happens to my spouse, I appoint the two children to be executors. It doesn't have to be complicated. Now, obviously, there are a lot of other things you can do in the will, but at the first step, if you're not sure what you're going to do with the will, just do a simple will. I leave everything to my spouse. I leave everything, if something happens to my spouse, to my children. Now, listen, if we've got $10 million worth of assets, yeah, we better do some trust to save on taxes. But assuming you're under $5 million, and by the way, New York State is going to $5,240,000 on April 1st. I'm talking about roughly three weeks from today. New York State is going to $5,240,000 where there's no death tax under that amount in New York State. And that is a dramatic change over the last four to five years. So at least something good's happened in New York State. But again, if you have a simple will, if you're under that $5 million, you're solidly under that $5 million, we can have a simple will. Husband leaves everything to wife. If something happens to both of them, leave it to the kids. Appoint the wife as executor, spouse as executor, and then the, the kids as co-executors. Yeah, there are variations. You can leave something to the grandchildren. You can do whatever you want with your will. But if you don't have a will, it's good to have something in place, at least have an executor named. And that's one of the main factors about a, a will. You want to appoint the person to be in charge. You don't want chaos. We have a question from Bruce in Staten Island. Thank you. Okay. Bruce, Staten Island. You're on deck. Bruce? We, we lose him? Uh-oh. Okay, so. All right, well. Uh, Beth, well, I, th- I think you I have. have I have a. Uh, we have we have now, James? Okay, Bruce, you there? Yes. Okay. What's your question? My question is, if I have. If 
we have a situation in our family. My sister's got a a they, she has a co-op, and they've got a she's got a, like a a living uh, person along with her. She's got one other occupant in the apartment. Right. And uh, I'd like to know if there's a problem with the management of the co-op, and they they feel like getting rid of that person. Uh, what what rights does that person have uh, in terms of the uh, co-op? The person is living with my sister. A co-op would have a very difficult, as long as they don't put that person's name on the stock certificate or on the proprietary lease, a co-op would have a very difficult time trying to evict somebody who's invited there by the owner. You know, well, well go ahead. they also have a domestic partnership. Well, then even more so. Then I, I don't see any problem. Domestic partnership at that point would make those I thought it was more in the nature of an employee or home attendant or something like that. No, no, no. It's it's someone who's lived with them for for a couple of years and they formed yeah. a domestic partnership last year. Yeah, the question would be if the co-op and long-range planning would allow that person to either go on the stock certificate as a beneficiary under the trust or joint, but the co-op is not going to be able to evict a domestic partner from uh from an apartment that's just, just yeah. Just this one more thing, though they, they've they've um, gotten they've gotten down and dirty with this person. They've they've fabricated a whole bunch of stories about this person, and and they're really harassing the heck out of them. Uh, what can you do about that? The co-op board itself is harassing this person. The management, yes. The management agent. Have you put a, co- a complaint into the co-op? Are they sympathetic, or are they? Uh, you know, no, they the, haven't. They haven't responded to anything, and and we spoke to somebody, and they said you should go to court and try to try to take them to court and have them explain what the heck they're talking about. You know what I mean? Yeah, but that could get expensive. The first thing I would write a letter to the co-op board explaining the objectionable actions of the management company, because after all, the management company works for the co-op, and then try to find out through those letters who's the bad guy, the the co-op board or the management. In other words, is the management company doing what the co-op wants, or vice versa? Yeah, you can go to court, but you know what? I I don't know how bad the harassment is, and that's you know a problem. I don't think we want to go. Well, into you know that what either. they did to my sister? They they put a believe it or not, she owns the co-op, and she they put a three thousand dollar fine on her because because they say that that person that person shouldn't be living there, and and they're, they don't like them. How uh, how many units are in the co-op? She she's been there. She's been there about five years. And he he's been there about two three years. Okay, I mean that doesn't make any sense. I mean if they put a three thousand dollar fine, and they just what was their reasoning for the fine? Uh, they they're claiming that 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 person has no right to be living there. And do they know he's a domestic partner? Yes, they do. That that is just not right. Uh, has she paid the three thousand dollar fine? Nope. Well, I'd put it off for now. I wouldn't pay it, but I'd write a letter of protest or whatever and then try to find out who the bad guy is. And and, and I don't know if we want to get this over the radio, but why don't they like him? Well, to, to make it simple and not, not to get anybody's fur riled up, uh, basically, they, they're, they're just – I think it's a make-work thing. They're just writing up all these phony reports about them. There's no criminality. There's no police involved. They ain't, they ain't no harm been done to any person's property, and I don't know what their problem is. They just don't like the person. I, I, I be honest with you, I'm not, I'm not hiding anything from yeah. you. But, 
but they're just they just don't like the person. That's that's my my take on it. And she agrees, and she says that person's here with my permission and consent, and they're a decent person. And I, I think the problem is that they, they they've got a campaign here. I spoke to a few, few shareholders in the complex, and they told me that they're trying to clear out the complex of people living with other people. That's what I, I heard. Yeah, but that's not really legal. I'd write a letter first, but yeah, maybe legal action is what you need to do. But the problem is taking this action to court. You may get even a, a favorable result, but you may not get attorney's fees and things like that. Depends how bad oh, the wow. harassment is. But I, I wish you luck, Bruce. And if somebody wants to talk to us about it, I'd be glad to do it. Right. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Connor. All right. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks for listening. Okay, Beth. Um, I think you had another question, right? Can we get it? I in have quickly? one. Joe we'll get it in two minutes. Very, a very simple question. How does the state planning help with taxes? Well, that's, you know, here's the thing. We're talking about the death tax right now. And I know to a lot of people in the middle class, the death tax is in effect being phased out. Um, it, it, we're going to be at $5 million New York State. The federal amount is 5490000 today. So some people wrongly are going to say, I don't need to do any estate planning because I'm under $5 million. Well, yes and no. One, if you go over $5 million, believe it, New York State really hits you hard. But there are other things involved. There's capital gains tax. Let's say, again, you paid $50,000 for your house. It's worth $800,000, $900,000, million on the day you pass away. You just give that house to your kids to avoid probate. That's fine. You avoided probate. Maybe you save that house from a nursing home, but then your kids are going to pay $200,000, $300,000 in capital gains taxes. I mean, I've seen people literally pay two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars in capital gains taxes to save on a possible fifty thousand dollar nursing home bill. Now I see sometimes you make a mistake. You you miscalculate life expectancies and things like that. You don't know what the future's gonna have. But there's no reason for that one. There's no reason to throw three hundred thousand dollars out the window. Well you know some people get bad advice, they just don't know. Right, right. And you know, listen, that's what I try to do very hard and what the attorneys in our office try to do very hard is that when we come up a plan with you, the idea is to try to save on estate taxes. If we don't need to worry about estate taxes, good. We want to save on capital gains taxes. We don't. If you paid $50,000 for your house and it's worth a million dollars, you don't want your kids to pay capital gains tax on that house, and there are ways to avoid it. And number three, the worst case in, in, today may not be the estate taxes, may not be the death taxes, it's losing your house to a nursing home. The average cost of a nursing home in New York is roughly $15,000 a month. Listen, we need to take a short break. At the end of the break, we're going to have the very controversial Sheriff David Clark. Thank you for listening to Ask the Lawyer. I think I just found myself believing that I didn't need God. I just had everything under control, and church was actually a burden to me. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. No, I didn't take my faith seriously, which, which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. You can have a beautiful car, a big fancy home. If you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness that's there. We are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust, especially as a man. But there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. Thank God I'm home. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church... I'm a new person. I love it. There's peace in our home that we didn't have before. You're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. 
If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. Whenever I sit down with a homeowner, the number one question asked is always, which reverse mortgage option is best for me and my family? I personally will help you decide which reverse mortgage program is best for you. My job is to help active retirees find the best solution for their retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward, objective information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call 888-943-2646. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646. Once again, call 888-943-2646, and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. Hello, this is Father Frank Pavone of Priests for Life. The pro-life movement is winning. One of the signs of progress... For our Ask the Lawyer friends and listeners... I'm sorry, we're going to get Sheriff Clark on at 6.33. In the meanwhile, we're going to talk to Lauren Ross, who's involved with one of the charities that we also get involved with, A Chance for Life. So, go ahead, Lauren. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. Everyone knows out there that every once in a while we talk about charitable organizations because part of estate planning is charitable giving. And with me right now, we're pleased to have Lauren Ross, Director of Communications for Chance for Life. How are you doing today, Lauren? I'm fine. Thank you. Thank you for stopping by. Can you tell us what is a chance in life? It's a 72-year-old nonprofit. It was started right after World War II in Italy. It was founded by an Irish monsignor who was responding to the crisis in the streets of Rome, hundreds of thousands of war orphans living on the street. And he started a shoeshine hotel to respond to them, to get them off the street, to give them a hot meal, to give them a place to stay, kept finding that they would disappear during the day after they had their meal and a place to stay. And he would find them on the streets again, and he asked them why they didn't want to stay in the safe place. And they said basically that we're used to living on the streets. We're used to being independent. We don't want adults telling us what to do. So that struck a chord in him. And he realized that young people need more than just a warm bed and a warm meal. And so he started, he actually built up around this shoeshine hotel. He ended up getting 200 acres outside on the outskirts of Rome, built a town. And he said to the kids, okay, you run this town. You take responsibility for it. You're in charge. You elect your own mayors. You elect your own judges, your own commissioners. And so they took that on. And it's still in Italy. We still have a program in Italy, um, in Rome, and also in Civita Vecchia. Right now, most of the young people who live at that town in Italy are not Italian orphans. They are refugees from Northern Africa and from Eastern Europe. It depends what's happening in the world where these refugees come from. But as you know, there's a, thousands and thousands that end up on the shores of Italy. So some of them end up at Boys Town. 
and they still do this. They still live in the same way. They, they learn Italian. They have assembly twice a week, and they run their town um, and develop and grow as young, people, young leaders in that way. Um, recently, in 2015, we expanded to Ethiopia and to India. So we're taking that approach to youth development, the self-government, and taking it to other countries and responding to the different youth issues in other countries, what poor kids face in different countries. Yeah, like a few months ago, we had Father Toshomi on the show, and he was talking about the challenges, especially the disabled children and young girls face in Ethiopia. Yeah. So we're working with about 400 young people in Ethiopia, and he has, he's um, uh, the priest at a diocese in southwestern Ethiopia and is responsible for youth programs, and he does wonderful work. And so we were able to meet with him and develop to bring self-government into the programs that he had established with high school girls, some of whom live two hours away from their high school and have to literally walk every day to get to high school. So many drop out. So the program that he has is, and that we're helping to fund is to have them live with families in homes closer to their high school so they can finish high school. And that opens up all kinds of opportunities in terms of going on to college and vocational school. And yeah, if you're disabled and poor in Ethiopia, a lot that population is hidden because people there's this real stigma around being disabled. And so our program in a small way has helped to make it more public and more accepted. And he, Father Tishomi now has families who have young people who are disabled in their homes coming to him and openly admitting that they have these young people. And it gives it's just... If that's all we've done, I think I'm just, I'm really proud of that, that that's, it's okay to have somebody who's disabled and there are ways that they can live more dignified lives um, out in the open and get training and maybe start a small business. So, yeah. Now, you have a program where you can sponsor a child? Yes. It costs about $30 a month to for one of uh, one young person to be in our programs in Ethiopia and also in India. It's more expensive in Italy, but in Ethiopia and India, that's about what it costs. So a lot of people want to give a smaller contribution, but do it on a monthly basis. So we have the sponsorship and it's $30 and you basically sign up for a year and you get assigned a young person, you get their profile, their name, and a little bit about them. And then as we develop, it's a pretty new program for us, but as we develop it, people will be able to correspond with their young people as well. For less than a Starbucks coffee a day, you can save a life. <laughs> exactly. Where can the listeners find out about this? Our website is achanceinlife.org. And the phone number of the office that people can call me, I'm Lauren Ross, and my number is 212-980-8770. If you can repeat that, please. 212-980-8770. Thank you, Lauren, for stopping by on Connor's Corner. Hello, this is Father Frank Pavone of Priests for Life. The pro-life movement is winning. One of the signs of progress is the growing mountain of medical evidence that abortion harms women, men, and families. Even researchers who identify themselves as pro-choice are coming to this conclusion and publishing their research. Abortion advocates try to hide and bury this information. But so much of it continues to come out that their efforts to hide it will not succeed much longer. Abortion really destroys itself. The more it continues, the more it reveals itself as an enemy of the human family. Those who advocate abortion say they care about women's health. But if they do, then they will have no honest rationale for ignoring the harm that abortion does. 
As the mountain of medical evidence against abortion grows, so should our hope that it will end. This is Father Frank Pavone, National Director of Priests for Life. For our Ask the Lawyer friends and listeners, you can attend any of Connors & Sullivan's free seminars on elder law, Medicaid, wills, and estate planning, and more. Yes, it's all free and all close to you. So come to Connors & Sullivan's free seminars. On Monday, March 27th at Vesuvio Restaurant, 7305 Third Avenue in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 7 p.m. On Wednesday, March 29th at Buckley's, 2926 Avenue. U.S. in Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn at 11 a.m., 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. and at the Montauk Club, 25 8th Avenue in Park Slope, Brooklyn on Thursday, March 30th at 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. Can't go to any Connors & Sullivan's free seminars? Then call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500 for your own free office appointment. Make an educated decision on your estate and family legal solutions today. Just call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500. That's Connors and Sullivan, 718-238-6500 or go to connorsandsullivan.com. Find out what you're entitled to. Come to a Connors and Sullivan free seminar. For more information, call 718-238-6500 or go to connorsandsullivan.com. Connors and Sullivan. Plan now for later. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. We Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. With me right ha- right now, I have one of the heroes of the United States, Sheriff David Clark. How are you doing today, sir? Fantastic. I send the label of hero, but uh, the main women I send out every day in the harm's way, they are heroes. Yeah, but they need a leader and they need inspiration. There's no doubt about that. Now, you've been very unspoken, outspoken in the defense of police officers around the country. And you have a book right out now, Cop Under Fire. What is the book about? Why should people buy this book? Well, there's two reasons the motivation. One was because the uh, left, the left mainstream media tries to label me as something that I'm not. They're trying to define me and uh, therefore discredit me. And so I wanted to uh, swap that away. But also more importantly, you know, I live in a world where People usually only get the benefit of a soundbite from me. I'm on TV, radio, and you have to talk in soundbites. You only get three, four minutes to make two or three points. And so what I do in this book, Cop Under Fire, is it allows people a deeper dive into some of those soundbites because the soundbites, they have substance to them. So I I put some meat on the bone in this book on some issues that many people in a political environment will not touch. If you notice the, the subtitle beyond the hashtags of, race, crime, and politics for a better America. I'll touch what some people refer to as that third rail in American politics, those explosive issues like race, like policing uh, in, in, in urban centers, like some of the cultural dysfunction that goes on uh, in the black underclass in, in the American ghetto and how that's hurting. I'll touch those issues because even people uh, like uh, Representative John Conyers uh, of, of Detroit, Michigan, or Eliza Cummings of the Baltimore area, Maxine Waters in L.A., Bobby Russ in Chicago. They know better. They know what's hurting the black community. And it isn't all racism and discrimination. It's Some of it is lifestyle choices. But I'll stand up because we got to be able to self-criticize if we're going to get, you notice the subtitle says, Beyond. When we're going to solve all of these things, I don't. this is not a book that's full of solutions. 
But what it does is it helps people after robust dialogue and discussion to get beyond it and to move on to some of the more pressing issues facing the United States of America. Why do you think some of the people that you just mentioned are supporters of Black Lives Matter? When I when I first talked about this this movement, that's what it is, you know, and it's a hate movement. It's a uh, anti-police movement. It was based on a lie to begin with. Black Lives Matter is a bastard child of the hands up, don't shoot movement. That's how this whole thing started. Hands up, don't shoot. Everybody had the T-shirts printed up. Everybody was saying it, chanting it at rallies. When we learned later that that was an absolute lie, when the facts and the evidence came in and the grand jury got to hear witness testimony and they found out it was a lie, they had to scrump that one and come up with something new. So they came up with this hand, this uh, this movement called Black Lives Matter. But the thing about it is none of the claims that they make, none of them, not one, is substantiated by any data or research. And I talk about that, I expand on that in the book. That, that would be the soundbite you would hear from me on TV, that none of their claims are based on data or research. Well, in the book, I go into uh, actually refuting some of the false narrative that they have uh, created about our American law enforcement officers, where they maliciously um, attack the credibility, the integrity, the sacrifice, the service of the American uh, law enforcement officer. And, and, you know, I saw people stand in the well of the House, the Congressional Black Caucus, with their hands up in the air. This was during that time before it was found out to be a lie. Not one of them, not one of them came back after that and said, you know what, we were hoodwinked. We were fooled into that, and we apologized. No, they blended into this Black Lives Matter thing, and they just kept on uh, uh, moving forward. And I'm going to continue to present a counter-argument because of the the devastation that has, has caused this profession that I've been a part of, profession of policing that I've been a part of for nearly four decades. But what's their motivation? What are they trying to accomplish? Uh, this is, well, it's been hijacked. What they're trying to accomplish is, look, the law, American law enforcement officers are on the front lines of the rule of law. The rule of law is the bedrock of our American democracy, of our, our constitutional republic. An anarchist movement seeped into this thing. This is the mask that they wear, Black Lives Matter. It is an anarchist movement to destroy the rule of law. That is their overall objective. They have weakened the profession of policing to the extent where in many of these urban centers where we now see all of this chaos that they're trying to create in the, in, in the form of uh, uh, riots and, and um, resistance and crime and violence, the American police officer is not as assertive as we need them to be to, to beat this thing back. So their true motivation is to attack the rule of law. But again, this is the mask they wear. Black Lives Matter. This movement does not care about black life. And I'll, I can I, I talk about it in a book, not an opinion. Where are they in the city of Chicago where all this carnage is going on? Why are they not protesting in Ronald Emanuel's office, the mayor, and asking him to do something to end this, this um, uh, uh, slaughter of good law-abiding black people in the city of Chicago? And not just in Chicago, in other uh, cities where the American ghetto exists. Why aren't these people protesting at abortion clinics where they abort, Planned Parenthood aborts more black babies per year than any other racial demographic. And in one year, I believe it was 2012, I could be wrong in the year, more black babies were aborted than born in New York City. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm unmasking these people. They don't care about black life. They care about politics. They care about political power. They care about the end of this 
constitutional republic. Now, talking about politics, you've run as a Democrat all those years in Milwaukee, but yet at the same time, you supported Donald Trump in his election campaign. Do you have any comment about what's going on today in Washington? Sure. Um, well, let me talk a little bit about how I came to be. I'm the, the, the product, the son of a mom and dad. Uh, I grew up, I was a child uh, in the 60s and then a young you know, teenager in the 70s. My parents were not politically active, but traditionally voted Democrat. But my parents were Harry Truman Democrats. They were Scoop Jackson Democrats. They were Jack Kennedy Democrats, Bobby Kennedy Democrats. They were not Harry uh, Reid Democrats or Nancy Pelosi. So we were more the moderate. They were were. were more the, the moderate, reasonable Democrat. Well, that's changed. So when I decided to run, I ran as a Democrat in the mold of Jack Kennedy Bobby Kennedy, a Scoop Jackson, a Harry Truman, who desegregated the Army, by the way. Uh, and my dad served in that segregated Army. And the Democrat Party is one of abject servility. You, in other words, they tell you, you will read from our script. We'll tell you how to think. We'll tell you what to say. And I said, no, you won't. No, you won't. I wasn't raised that way. And I'm not going to read from your script. I'm going to think for myself. And that's where the, the schism created between the Democrat Party locally and me. Now, let me talk briefly about Washington, D.C. I supported Donald Trump because I believed in his message of making America great again. Donald Trump supports the school vouchers. That is the lifeline for kids in the American ghetto, black kids and their parents, to rescue them from that failing school system, to give them a chance of reaching their God-given potential. Education has always been a traditional vehicle to upward mobility in the United States. And in their K-12 urban school system, these kids are being underserved. Donald Trump also talked about kickstarting this local economy. Black people can't find meaningful work in the American ghetto. Donald Trump also talked about the crime and violence in these cities, and he talked about a better quality of life for all Americans. He didn't just say black people, all Americans, but he made it clear that they are being left behind. So when I, when I listened to him, and I got a chance to talk to him several times privately, he talked about border protection. They talked about the need for it. That stuff's right up my alley, and that's why I said at this period in time, we need an outsider in Washington, D.C. to bust up this cartel, and that's what it is, the Washington establishment, and to begin to give the government back to the people. And that was was Donald Trump's message. He is going to do this. It's going to be uphill. There's no doubt about that. But I'll tell you what, I told Donald Trump, at the time, when I say I'm, I support something, I'm all in, and you can believe I'm going to fight for you. And I did fight for him to become the 45th president, but now the fight has to continue with beating back this, this Washington cartel, draining this swamp, and returning power back to the state. I talk about that in the book with the uh, Article 5 and the Convention of States, and also back to the people. The name of the book Cop Under Fire, Working Beyond Hashtags of Race, Crime, and Politics for a Better America by Sheriff David Clark. If you want to get a book where somebody thinks out of the box, buy the book. We all know someone who's been touched by cancer. It's the second leading cause of death. And it took the life of my father, John Wayne. But even in his final days, he was thinking about helping others and publicly campaigning to raise awareness about cancer. His courage and grit inspired our family to do everything we could to fight the big C, as my dad called it. So we did something about it and founded the John Wayne Cancer Institute 35 years ago to advance life-saving research. Our discoveries are fundamentally changing the way cancer is treated around the world. 
cures are within our reach, but we can't do it alone. I'm Patrick Wayne, and I'd be honored if you joined us in the fight against cancer. You can make a lasting legacy by helping to eradicate this deadly disease. Together, we can save lives. To learn more, visit jwcigiving.org. That's jwcigiving.org. I have children. How can I protect them if something happens? Will my assets be lost if I go into a nursing home? We have property. How will it affect the ones still here? Who will help us take care of Grandma? These questions can be answered by calling 718-238-6500 for a free consultation from Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, providing dedicated, caring, and highly responsive legal services. They're focused on issues that matter to you, protection of your family, preservation of your assets, and respect of your wishes with dignity. That's all I want from a lawyer, making it easier for my children. Call 718-238-6500. Get a free consultation. Connors & Sullivan's clients don't get lost in the cracks. They have dedicated attorneys who know their clients and the issues that matter most to them. Connors & Sullivan's estate planning, elder law, and probate attorneys work closely with every client. Don't leave behind problems for your family. Call 718-238-6500 and get a free consultation today. Connors & Sullivan. Plan now for later. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. I saw a movie advertised on Fox News the other day, Bitter Harvest, and it's about Ukraine, 1930s. And I'm very proud to have on the director of that film, George Mendelik. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on. Bitter Harvest, what's the movie about? Well, basically, it's a romantic, historical romantic uh, movie about two lovers set in the 1930s. And we see one of the darkest secrets uh, that um, that the communist regime, or really in the world, has basically seen, which is the genocide and the man-made um, famine implemented by Stalin uh, to uh, uh, basically create and subjugate the Ukrainian people into collectivizing their farms. So um, it, it's a dark secret that um, the uh, the communist uh, uh, side of the world really doesn't want to to make known, and we've shed a light on it. Okay, now there was a New York Times reporter who happened to be in Moscow at the time, and his name is Durante, right. and I, I believe he's a character in your film. Yes, he is. We, uh, well, I don't know if we, uh, well, we refer to Durante in a newspaper ad. Uh, I did actually shoot a character but it didn't uh, of Durante, but it didn't make it into the, um, the picture because <laughs> there's just a lot of story to tell, a lot of canvas to paint. So, uh, but no, Durante is a key figure in this because there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of talk about fake news today, isn't there? And um, and I think that uh, another example that goes way back to the early 1930s and the New York Times, I might add, was uh, Walter Durante, who was the correspondent for the Times, basically got a Pulitzer Prize for lying. He was a Stalin apologist. He uh, lived in Moscow. He was an alcoholic, um, a whoremonger, basically, and uh, he uh, wrote, uh, euphemistic uh, uh, log lines like uh, it's not uh, famine but it's uh, bad weather it's um, poor farming practices it's malnutrition when really it was a, a horrific totally inhumane starvation of uh, four to seven million Ukrainians a third of whom were children in order to basically uh, convert uh, what which was a free society in terms of farming 
into collectivization. You could get shot literally or killed for taking a carrot out of your garden and feeding it to your children because that carrot belongs to the state. I mean, that's incredible. Sometimes just the, the – and the magnitude of the number of people that died, what was it, like something like 25,000 people a day? Yes, yes, 25,000 people a day. But you see, the, the true numbers are very difficult to calculate because um, of three reasons. We mentioned fake news. Uh, the other gentleman that actually wrote against Durante's uh, commentary was a gentleman called Gareth Jones. He was a Welshman, and he wrote for The Guardian for many other – papers as well and he actually hitchhiked through ukraine at the time slept with the villagers on the floor and um, and he reported that it was uh, a raging famine quote unquote uh, mysteriously died uh, was killed by uh, bandits uh, a few years later um, not a coincidence i don't think and um and uh, yes it is a dark secret that the that the film sheds a light on and the other thing was the iron curtain the iron curtain uh, created a, a, a secrecy. Uh, not a lot of information or travel was happening, if you recall, before the fall of the uh, um, Soviet Union. And then the third thing was terror. The Ukrainians were absolutely cowed uh, by, by these terrorist tactics that, uh, in terms of uh, speaking about it. So when the, when the curtain came up and the Soviet Union fell, this slowly began to, um, to emerge. But uh, a lot needs to be told. And thank goodness the film has been sold to 45 countries. And I read yesterday that Portugal actually has accepted the um, the reality that it was an actual man-made genocide. Yeah, well, you know, part of the problem is a lot of people who grew up in the Soviet Union, whether it was Ukraine, even in Ukraine, they weren't taught this. It was not in their history books. Of course not. They don't want the truth to come out that basically uh, the Soviet regime and communism isn't a popular or a successful form of government because, you know, freedom, I don't care if it's right or left, has to be the hallmark of a, of a civilized government. People should be able to choose the, the government they want and, um, and not be terrorized or uh, mass murdered in order to being forced to accept it. And I don't care if it's right wing or left wing. I mean, it amounts to the same hell of beans as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Hitler was, uh, was actually an amateur when they came to genocide. The horrible thing that happened to the, um, to the, to the Jews and the concentration camps uh, was, um, was only um, part of what Stalin did in terms of sending people off to Siberia and also, like I mentioned to you, uh, the, the, the forced uh, famine and also being um, shooting people in, in, in mass graves. Uh, this guy was a monster, and the uh, and amazingly, you know, he he enjoys a forty five percent favorable rating in the uh, in the Soviet Union right now. And uh, Putin, who um, uh, worships this uh, this mass murderer, has an eighty five percent rating favorability. So the, the the truth has to come out because, like Carl Jung said, what is revealed is healed, and what you resist persists. So we've got to make this. We have to expose this. And, and acknowledge it for what it is and move forward. George, what's your background? I'm Ukrainian. My mother survived the, uh, the Holodomor. She told me stories uh, when I was growing up, how she and her friend Hala was her name, went to, um, went to school every day, and they would pass kids begging uh, on the street for food, for bread. And then the same day, they'd be walking back home, uh, and uh, those same children, a lot of them, would be lying dead on the sidewalk. 
and uh, carts would come and uh, take them away like uh, garbage. And um, and uh, her her best friend ultimately died because it's a horrific way to, uh, to to die. You know, it takes an awful long time. It takes the humanity out of you. And um, and her friend um, towards the end had a bloated stomach, and uh, she collapsed uh, in in school in front of her, uh, voiding water. And uh, and that was the end of her best friend. And so I grew up this, and it's been an honor and a real responsibility to be able to tell the story and bring bring it to the screen. Is there any relationship between the times in the 1930s and the present? I do think so. I, I think so in terms of uh, fake news, you know. Um, and I thought, you know, the Pulitzer Prize folks have not pulled the the uh, the prize from um, from Durante. And although the Times has acknowledged that Durante basically created false reportage, they haven't basically acknowledged uh, the Holo de Mor as um, as a crime against humanity. And so, so the media uh, played a big part then and plays a big part now. And that's just one uh, example. And I think. People don't understand and aren't educated in terms of the whole mission of what communists really, uh, in communism really entails, and that's basically to make it a worldwide phenomenon. And um, and when we were filming, the war broke out, and um, you know I said this is just the beginning, and now we see Russian influence expanding all over the world, and uh, we have to be vigilant. Reagan was vigilant, you know he knew he knew what it was. He said bring down the wall, and uh, our government has to be vigilant as well. In my opinion, let's get back to the movie again. What, who are the main characters, and what's the focus? The focus is basically a love story, and so I want people to to realize it's not a dry documentary. It's um, it's it's a love story first and uh, foremost, and the theme of the love story is that love triumphs and transcends over the worst kind of evil and even death in a way. Uh, it's a love story between uh, Yuri, who is a painter and an artist. And the childhood sweetheart, Natalka, played by um, Samantha Barks, and uh, Yuri is played by um, Max Irons. And then we have uh, the grandfather played by the legendary Terrence Stamp. We have Barry Pepper, who was in Sergeant Ryan. And uh, we have uh, Tam- Tamir Hassan as well, who is the consummate uh, evil uh, dude in the movie. Uh, and, um, it, you know, every hero or heroine is defined by the struggle against fear and, and evil. And so this is the story as well. In a way, the, the paradigm is like Dr. Shivago. We see the horror of the early 30s in Ukraine through the eyes of our lovers who attempt to deal with it and still live a free life. Have you gotten any blowback or anything? Because maybe your film's not politically correct. Well, I don't think our film is politically correct, and I think the, uh, I think the, uh, although I don't read the reviews, I think the reviews have not been uh, accurate or generous from what I gather. But uh, I take heart in the fact that uh, 79 or 80 percent of the audience uh, loves the picture, and uh, I, you know, like I, like I said earlier to somebody that uh, uh, in Toronto it opened, and to uh, 5,700 um, screens. Uh, sorry, $57 per screen, 5700 sorry, per screen. And uh, that's a phenomenal opening. And uh, I'd rather go with uh, the audience uh, satisfaction and loving the movie uh, than, than, than anything else. Uh, we just came back from a seven-country press tour. Uh, the film um, opened in Washington, New York, London, and Kiev, and then Ottawa and Toronto. And like I said before, it's open to uh, it's been sold to 45 different countries around the world. 
So the um, the news is getting out, and that's really what we wanted. This is more than a movie. It's a calling. It's a calling to draw parallels between what happened in 1933 and today and shine a light on one of the darkest secrets of the communist regime. Okay, well, thank you for doing that. I mean, I know it's personal for you, but there are people who love freedom and who respect and, and honor what the Ukrainians went through all these years. So we can't thank you enough for doing that, and we hope the film does well. The name of the film is Bitter Harvest. Go see it as soon as you can. Yeah, thank you very much. I really appreciate being on your show. And Yes, it's all about freedom. Thank you. Okay, again, thanks to George Mendelik. We do hope the film does well. I know it's limited release right now in New York, so you got to search hard for it. But hopefully it'll be a greater release, you know, in the not-too-far-distant future. I have one comment. One of our guests in the past, Gary Kasparov, was talking about some of the polls in Putin. And he said, "Let's." Uh, Kasparov is the chess champion who ran against Putin for president years ago. And he said, let's say you're sitting in your, uh, ho- uh, your uh, apartment in Moscow. The phone rings. Somebody asks you, what do you think about Putin? You have no idea who's on the other side of the line. What are you going to say? And he said it was remarkable that Putin has a 15% negative rating with the Russians. So, you know, take take the polls with a grain of salt or whatever. But, you know, every once in a while there's a film that comes out that's trying to do something that's bitter harvest. So please support it if you get the chance. And, and when it comes out on DVD, you know, let's buy those DVDs. Now, next week, we're going to have on Timothy Egan. And Timothy Egan's an author who wrote a book about General Thomas Francis Marr. And General Marr was a uh, great historical figure. He influenced the politics in three continents. He was sentenced to death in Ireland for inciting treason, although he just spoke. He never raised a sword. He never fired a shot. In anger in Ireland, he just made speeches, but he was sentenced to death. There was an uproar at the time, so they commuted his sentence of death to exile in Australia, where he went to Tasmania. From Tasmania, he made a thrilling escape, which you can read about in the book, to make it to San Francisco in the United States, then eventually came to New York, became a lawyer in New York, was involved in one of the first cases of temporary insanity, which we'll talk about someday. General Daniel Sickles. Then he was brigade commander of the Irish Brigade, campaigned for Lincoln in 1864, was appointed governor of Montana, which Montana was really the Wild West back then, and died under mysterious circumstances. Now, I don't know whether the circumstances were mysterious enough, but the author, Team Egan, says they were. I just used to read that he was drinking and he fell off the boat in Montana and he died. But Timothy Egan has evidence that he was killed by some vigilantes back there in 1868. Next guest of the Civil War Roundtable, the legendary Ed Bars. Don't forget about Ed, 93 years old, going to be talking about Grierson's Raid. Thank you for listening to Ask the Lawyer. Thank you for all your comments. We are gathered here on hallowed ground, voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. We are gathered here on hallowed ground, voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.